You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning and welcome yet again to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here. Uh, pray for those around you. There are many men here with their children whose wives are coming back from TVR today. They've been up there this weekend. Pray they'll stay awake during the message today. And I'll not have to resort to any extra measures to keep them awake. I'm sure that they are exhausted. It is so good to have David back. We're, we were blessed with the gorgeous gifting that God has given to the people in our church while he was gone. Uh, but it's good to have David back. David is one of those who will have trouble staying awake. Uh, he, he texted last night and said, I never knew how much attention my children required. Sarah knows, but I'm, I'm finding it out this weekend. But David and the team are breaking out several uh, songs for Reformation uh, Month and appreciate that song that we just sang is really, really great. It, it actually gave a lot of scripture that now we can focus in other places. Um, don't you love October? I love October. October 1, 2017. Uh, there are multiple reasons that this is my favorite month of the year, not the least of which is the State Fair rolls into town next week, next week to Raleigh. And I'll be there, and I can already taste the chicken pita that I love and, and fried stickers. Look, how many of you are certain, you don't have to raise your hand because I know it would be unanimous, Certain that fried Snickers will be in heaven. I am. I'm, I'm certain of it. Uh, I, I never, you know, I never thought about fried Snickers. My daughter got me to, uh, to, to try one a few years ago. And oh my goodness, heavenly food. Uh, I, um, I, I love, I, I, I lived in the mountains for 20 years. So I love the cooler weather. Uh, I love the fall uh, colors on, on the trees. We live not far from Grandfather Mountain, Beach Mountain, the other side of the county, but all up in that area for 20 years. Nothing quite so beautiful as the leaves in their peak in the mountains in October. Football, pumpkin muffins, fall decorations. I love it all. I just love the fall. Not only is it the 1st of October, but it's October 1, 2017. That means October marks the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, which is considered to have begun on October 31 when a German monk named Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church in Germany, <clears throat> proposing a theological debate with some of uh, the leaders of the Catholic Church. The question about indulgences was ultimately, at its core, a, a question about how can a person be saved? Is it by works or is it by grace through faith? The Catholic Church did not take too kindly to Luther's complaints. The Pope was determined to silence him. Instead, Luther's dissent infected many in Germany and other scholars, biblical scholars, theologians and scholars around Europe who now, thanks to Erasmus a few years before, <clears throat> uh, had, had published a Greek testament, the first translation of a Greek testament in the modern times. 
And uh, discrepancies between the, 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 the Roman Catholic Vulgate, or uh, the, the Vulgate, which Latin was a Latin translation that the Roman Catholics used, the, the differences between the Vulgate and this Greek New Testament led a lot of people to say, hmm, I'm not so sure. We'll talk about that a little bit along the way this morning, or I'll mention it in one place in particular that it showed up in Luther's thinking. So uh, this led to a lot of churches breaking away from the Catholic Church, and they, were, they formed new churches. These churches became known as Protestant churches within Germany, although Luther insisted that they be known as Christian churches or evangelical churches. French and Swiss Protestant churches preferred to be called Reformed churches. You hear that term a lot today, Reformed. All of these terms, Protestant, Evangelical, Christian churches, Reformed churches. I said last week that the designation Protestant was associated with the idea of protestant, as in protesters. It's certainly the common understanding today, and, and while the term may have derived from a 1529 letter of protestation that the German princes wrote against the Catholic Church's condemnation of Martin Luther's teaching, the etymology of the word is nothing if not complex, and I'm certain that you are thoroughly confused at this point, especially if you are here today. By the way, welcome parents of uh, students who are here for family weekend at Campbell. number of you here, and we're delighted that you are here. Um, since this subject is rather complex, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it today, uh, I would say go to the website to hear last, the recording of last week's uh, sermon, but technical difficulties uh, kept that from recording, which is a shame because we had this panel and it, and, and it was a great panel. We'll be having a panel every other week as we talk about one of the, the five solas. My notes for the messages, uh, the message uh, are on there though, and you can get a fuller sense of where we're heading in these next few months if you go back and read that. In case you were not here last week, it'll help you to know that we're in the second of ten weeks commemorating the Reformation in a series titled The Five Solas. And of course, the first question is, what's a sola? Why is it important? Uh, if you're here all ten weeks of this series, you'll hear a brief introduction each week because you, we have new people every Sunday and you got to know where it is you're going. Uh, I, what I should do is get some of you to come up with creative ways to introduce this series just to come up here and do it. I should do that, but I won't, so please don't volunteer. Uh, why the solas? Simply put, sola, which Latin is Latin for alone, as in scripture alone, Christ alone, grace, faith, and to God alone be the glory. It's the closest thing there is to a statement of faith for Protestants that distinguish our beliefs, belief from Catholics. I know that many of you come from Catholic churches and the, the Catholic church was in your background. Some of you are quite happy to be away from the Catholic church. Others of you are in the Catholic church now. You're coming here while you're a student or you're just checking out a, a community church. Oftentimes, uh, someone who comes from a Catholic church and a, and a mainline Protestant church will get married and they'll say, let's check out a, uh, one of these non-denominational churches, which is what we are. So I, I know that some of you are, are quite happy to remain a Catholic. This is not meant to offend you, but to explain why there are Protestant churches 
in the first place. There was a reason that Protestants broke away from the Catholic Church. So what do we believe as Protestants? Protestants? It, it appears to be one of those mornings. That scripture alone, not what the Pope says, not what our hearts say, as we talked about last week. Scripture alone points to salvation in Christ alone as our only hope of salvation. We are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, not good works on our part in any measure. And our salvation is to the glory of God alone, not to our wisdom or even to our good fortune to believe. Today, our text is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. A clear testimony of the sufficiency, clarity, and authority of Scripture. There is a whole lot to cover today on this first Sunday when we will end our time at the Lord's table. So if you would, please stand as our custom for the reading of Scripture. 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 14 through 17, I will be reading from the English Standard Version. The Apostle Paul is writing to his young mentee, um, Timothy. There is a sense in which you get from the book of 2 Timothy. It's his, Paul's last letter. Um, and he's, he's transferring his ministry to Timothy, uh, who's not one of the better known early church fathers, but... Uh, Paul had invested much in Timothy and he had told him at, at one point, guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. And so <clears throat> here just before he dies, he says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Well, Father, uh, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through creation, through consciences, our consciences, Lord, through a, a desire for justice that we have in our hearts, for things to be right as they should be, uh, Lord, and especially and very specifically through Jesus and through the Word of God. Jesus, the Lagos, the Word of God made flesh and the written Word of God. You've revealed yourself to us. You've not left us confused about how you have moved and worked to save us, nor how we are to relate to you and how we are to live in this world. And so today I pray that you might burn on our hearts the conviction that we just sang about. I believe every word is true. Open our hearts and fill them full. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, BC. Well, as I just mentioned, the words that we have just read are Paul's last words. They, they're the last recorded words 
that we have Paul writing to anybody. And, and last words are important, aren't they? I mean, look, if, if you were dying and you were still in your right mind and you were able to speak to your children, your family, your friends, or if you had some platform in which you spoke to a lot of people, <clears throat> the last words that you would speak would be important words and you would probably weigh them carefully. And, and, and that is exactly what was happening here. Paul was awaiting execution in a dungeon of a prison cell in Rome. I've been there where they think it was. It was very much like it anyway. It's just a, 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 a hole that's cut out of a stone floor and it's, a, it's damp and nasty. And you, had to be, you had to be let down by, by ropes into this dungeon. Paul was waiting uh, to, to be executed. It was written, this book was written somewhere between a few days prior to his execution up to a few months before he died. So his last words were important words. And with his last words, he chose to point Timothy to God's word. Paul's life would end soon. He would be standing before his Savior. Paul's words would end, but the, the words of Scripture are eternal Words And Paul wanted Timothy to understand that through Scripture, God would sustain him and equip him for anything that he might face. Anything that he might face. We need such a reminder today. I, I want to challenge you in the next few days. You'll be doing this in home group if you're there. But, but even apart from home group, over and above home group... Spend a little time and read through 2 Timothy. And as you read, be aware of all the places that Paul points Timothy to Scripture, which included, first and foremost, all of the Old Testament writings. Uh, Paul likely intended for Timothy to understand also, though, that the same level of authority, of authority would, was to be applied to the Gospels that had been written. Uh, gospels were circulating around and... And, and Paul wanted Timothy to understand that. And many of the letters, Paul, you get the sense that Paul understood that what he was writing was the word of God. And that it would be read by us to this day. I don't know that he looked out. All the early apostles expected the Lord to return within their lifetime. But if they had seen this far in advance, they would have said, oh yes, this word of God, this, these things that I'm writing will be true um, 2,000 years from now, just like they are today. Paul repeatedly pointed Timothy to Scripture as the foundation for what Christians believe. He also encouraged Timothy to root out false teachers and for Timothy to preach the word. Preach the word accurately and boldly. In verses 14 to 15, Paul reminded Timothy of his association with scripture, Timothy's association with scripture since birth at the very beginning of second Timothy, Paul commended the faith and the trust in, in God's word of, of Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and of his mother, Eunice. Their faith was based on the foundation of the promises of God in scripture. In verse 15, Paul said, essentially, that all the promises of Scripture were pointing to Jesus all along. By faith, we are rightly related to God through faith in Christ Jesus. 
you can see, can you not, the value of, of godly families passing down the truth of Scripture from one generation to another? Look, that, that's one of the reasons. And, and parents, you may be saying, uh, son, daughter, don't go back to that church, all right? After I tell you this, after what I say, you, you might tell your kids to get someone. I made no apology for encouraging young adults to get married sooner than the national average and to have children sooner than society thinks you ought to have them. Look, I'm, I'm 64. I will be 64 next month. Three or four days later, my oldest granddaughter will be 15. Hopefully, I've got a lot of years life, of life left to pour into my grandchildren's lives. Nine grandchildren. And I get, while I'm in my right mind, well, some of you would dispute that, but at least reasonably so, in my, in my right mind for the next 15 years, maybe, who knows? It runs in my family, you know, so one of these days you may be pulling me off up here. Um, but I get to pour into them, and that's the way God designed for it to be. But like so many other things, culture informs the way that we think about life. I mean, do you really believe every word of God is true? Well, look, at least be financially secure. Well, good luck with that. Well, be mature. Better luck with that. God's, uh, there, there's so many Old Testament themes uh, that are continued in the New Testament. Only with a better understanding of God's promises <clears throat> that are wrapped up in Jesus. Including the covenant relationship that God with, had with his people. In the Old Testament, God chose this nation, Israel. And he said, I'm, my covenant is with you. Now, but again, all of the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. He gave them a law. And one of the main reasons he gave them a law was to say... Uh, it's not happening. You're not going to keep this. You need a savior. And it was all pointing to Jesus. So now God's covenant is with everyone who believes in Jesus. God often works through families within a church. For those of you, uh, look, for those of you who desire to be married and, and, and the Lord has not allowed that to happen in your life. Allison and I pray often for you about that. We pray often for you, for the Lord to bring the right person into your life. And as Bert Wallace said in our, our, our Grace Connection class this morning, that means the right kind of person. Don't be waiting on just, you know, you, you, you'll have a sense. But if a person loves Jesus, if they follow the word, you're reasonably compatible in, in, in certain ways. God's will doesn't tell us so much the specifics, but it gives us general guidelines and principles for determining God's will in specific instances. But Allison and I pray deeply for you. For those of you who are called to be single, your life in ministry has every bit as much value as anybody else here. That's the beauty of the covenant family of God. And I want to encourage those of you who are married, to reach out to those who are single. And those of you who are single, to not just hold back and say, well, I'm really not part of it. Jump in. And if people ignore you, say, hey, hey, I'm here. You know, come on, I'm part of this family. 
Let's be the family that God has called us to be. He's given us all a treasured spot in the life of Grace Community Church. Those of you who are here. Look, speaking of family life and, 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 and large families that we have, five people last week under the age of 16 were baptized. Would it have been more meaningful if adults, say, ages 23 to 67 had been baptized? But you may be tempted to think, well, you know, look, kids are going to get baptized. It's just part. It's a rite of passage in a church. Uh, but when an adult makes a decision like that, that's really cool. You, before you think like that, think a, little, think a little more about what you're saying. It's more typical for God to build his church from within than it is not. It's a great joy when children are baptized. And I know that you, you agree because I just sense the joy in this room whenever we have a baptism, regardless of the age of the people being baptized. Parents, just talk a little bit about your children and their understanding of the word. You can be assured that if your children are, are, are a part of children's ministry or youth ministry here at Grace, they're hearing the gospel and they're learning a great deal about scripture. But your influence on their lives is key and particularly your relationship with scripture. Your understanding of how God wants us to live in this life. Ultimately, they make their own decision, so no guilt trip intended. But if you're nonchalant about your relationship with Scripture, do not be surprised at all when your children are the same, come to the same conclusions about Scripture. So children and students of all ages, it does not matter how good your parents are or are not. When you hear the gospel, God calls for you to believe it and to live a gospel-centered life. Parents, once again, a, a, a word, a warning to those of you who very much believe that Scripture informs your life. Look, when children are young, they need to be taught the law. One of the great recoveries of the of the Reformation was the proper understanding and placement of law and gospel. And when kids are small, there's a lot of, okay, you do this just because, you know. Look, maybe it's a little better when they say, why do I have to do that? Maybe it's a little better to say, because I'm the parent, you're the child. You'll get your turn one day. But right now, this is the way it is. Maybe that's a little better than because I said so. Um, but at least it sets the boundaries. You have to teach law. But as they get older, you've got to make sure they understand the gospel. I told a Grace Connection class this morning. I have never seen a church anywhere. And of course, I, I'm limited in this. But I've never seen a church where the children are understanding the gospel at the ages they are. You ought to hear the testimonies I hear when I talk to these kids about baptism. Uh, the children's ministry is doing a wonderful job here. But you know what happens at home so often? The law continues to reign supreme. And you've got to find a way to transition as your kids get older. And, and, and it, talk at least as much about the gospel as you do about the law. And, and, and again, that balance, that right understanding. Look, inadvertently teaching your children that they can live the law well enough to please God is a formula that may end with their rejection of Jesus. 
Look, when you say these words to anybody or about anybody, just, just be careful. If you're, if you're prone to saying this, let me get you to think about it. I am so disappointed in you or I am so disappointed in someone else. In the first place, who am I to be disappointed with anybody else? I got enough to worry about myself. I'm, I'm barely hanging on because of the beauty of the gospel. But when you put that on another person, you're putting law on them. And there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is good, but it cannot give life. It cannot produce life. The law only can condemn. <clears throat> because nobody's able to keep it at that level. So parents, if you're really into Scripture and you really think people ought to live according to a biblical worldview, be careful. Lighten up. Make sure that your biblical worldview is a gospel point of view. You don't want your kids saying, I've had enough of that. And walking away. Students, college students, if that's the way it was in your home, get over it. It's you and the Lord now. Well, my, par no, my parents, nothing. It's not, going to, it's not going to do you any good. At the parents, you've got a big response. So we all have responsibilities, don't we? Before we move on to verses 16 and 17, let me point out again the truth of verse 15. All Scripture points to Jesus. It's not that the Old Testament God is the God of wrath and the New Testament God is the God of love. The Trinity existed before God revealed Himself fully to us that way in the New Testament. God was merciful in the Old Testament and the New Testament speaks of His wrath against sin. It's a wrath, though, that Jesus absorbed for sinners who will repent of their sins and believe in Him. Scripture teaches us to repent, not to do penance. This was one of the epiphanies for Martin Luther when he saw that difference in the Greek New Testament. It's not that the, the, the Latin says do penance and the, and the New Testament in the Greek says repent or be penitent. And there's a big difference between being sorry for your sins and paying for your sins. You can't pay for your sins. Only Jesus can do that. The Bible is not a book about heroes that teaches morality as the main pursuit in life. In fact, whenever you seek to transform people morally, rather than pointing them to the gospel, you're only seeking to manage morality, and it's problematic on several levels, not the least of which whatever society's ideas are about morality and immorality changes all the time. The Old Testament and New Testament are not two different stories, but rather they're, they're one story with two parts, two chapters. The story is about Jesus. They're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. How complete is the story? Verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the God, man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now... 
when Paul stated to Timothy, when he's telling him all scripture is God breathed, he wasn't seeking to convince Timothy of the inspiration or inerrancy of scripture. Timothy already believed it. He believed that scripture is true, but Paul was pointing him, reminding him, it's it's for how you believe and and how you behave. Look, while I understand the benefits of being able to give a defense for your confidence in scripture that goes beyond simply saying, I believe. I I know when people say, well, why do you believe the Bible? You want to be able to have some explanation. But ultimately, it's faith that opens your eyes to the truth of Scripture, not the other way around. It's, it's not that you come, become convinced of Scripture. And then, all of a sudden, you say, okay, well, I, I, I think I agree with this. It's right. Scripture grabs you and you have to say, oh, I've got no choice. I have to believe. McLaughlin's and Jim and Diane and Alice and I were at a conference this weekend yesterday at Peace Presbyterian where Jim and Diane's son, Cole, is the um, uh, pastor there, and he's, he was moderating, spiritual gift of moderating every bit the comedian that his father and brother are, and, and mother as well, although she's far more spiritual than the rest of them. But she, <laughs> she he was, Cole did a great job, but Rosaria Butterfield, many of you know that name, Rosaria Butterfield, she was a head of women's studies at Syracuse and kept saying, look, all the... The, the conflict between the LBGQTQ community and, and evangelical Christians, I helped to create this problem. She truly was a very effective speaker for uh, gay rights. And a pastor invited her, and his wife invited her over to, to have dinner. And she said, I can't believe I went, but I went. And, and this conversation went on for years until finally one day the word, she just realized, oh, wait a minute, I don't get to examine it, it examines me. And all I, only hope I have is to believe. I have to believe this word. And when she did, and she was an English lit professor, so she read it as a professor would, far better than you or I would, just coming to it on our own. Read it all the way, all, just chunks of the Bible, a whole chapter, she said, because that's the way you ought to read books. Or a whole, uh, excuse me, a whole book of the Bible. That's the way you ought to do it. And so she was convinced, though, not because of the compelling genres of literature which the Bible has and with which she was very impressed. But ultimately, she was impressed with this sense. You don't get to determine about me. I will tell I'm the authority that's in your life that's bigger than any of this. We talked about this a lot last week. And you, all, you, you submit. And she did. And my, what a powerful speaker she is. She lives in Durham. I'd love to get her down here someday for a, a, a conference. I think it would be wonderful. Our connection with, with Campbell. If you, secrets, uh, Secret Thoughts of an uh, Unlikely Convert, I think is the title of the book. Is that right? Some, several of you have read it, I, I know. Um, and so she just talks about how scripture changed her, radically changed her life. Um, all scripture is God breathed or scripture has been breathed into by God Look, Paul was not referring to a single passage of scripture but rather to all scripture 2 Peter 
1, verses 20 and 21, make it clear that the Holy Spirit is the one who superintended the process of sinful and fallible men writing the perfect and infallible Word of God. Which is why that we say Scripture and the Holy Spirit are inseparable. I love that line in that song this morning. I didn't know that song before today. I hadn't heard it. But just talking about sinful men, a perfect God, and how the Scripture became God superintends that entire process. Some point you have to get over the notion, well, it's written by sinful, fallible men. Look, Jesus said it. It's not show me and, and, and I'll believe, but it's believe and I'll show you. Believe Scripture and it will begin to make sense to you. All scripture is useful for teaching and rebuking, both of which address doctrine or what we believe. That's why false teachers and false teaching must be directly addressed. If all scripture is God-breathed, and if Paul was first referring to the Old Testament in this text, it's why the Old Testament must be studied along with the New Testament. Only we're blessed to read the Old Testament through gospel-filtered lenses. We put our gospel glasses on when we read the Old Testament. If you do not know what you believe, then you may well listen to powerful and persuasive voices who will be more than happy to tell you what God wants you to believe. I've said it over and over and I'll keep saying it. Do not take your cues from culture, nor from your heart, nor from churches that preach law rather than preach law and gospel. Find God's truth in his word, God tells his children that he wants them to know and, and what he wants them to know and how they are to live in this kingdom life in which Jesus reigns in the hearts of those who follow him. God's kingdom is not yet fully realized in this world. It will be one day, but it's not realized in this world. But God's kingdom is carried out in our hearts and in the church. Scripture is not only given for our knowledge and belief, but for our behavior. Scripture, all Scripture is profitable for correction. Correction comes from the Greek word uh, that is translated straight. Scripture keeps us on the right path. New Testament commands, you may not know this, but there are almost twice as many New Testament commands as there are Old Testament commands. And a lot of times they're more exacting. But they're to be lived in the truth of the gospel. How do we do that? Look, for starters, time in the word, time in scripture increases our faith. And faith causes us to live for the gospel. All scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. Martin Luther uh, was converted by reading Romans 1, 16 and 17. And he was converted when he realized that the righteousness of God is not a demand, but it's a donation. It's a gift. God gives us his righteousness. He doesn't enable us to become righteous. One of the big differences between Catholic and Protestant, although many Protestants believe this today, God enables us to become righteous, but no. Righteousness is his gift. It's the great exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made Jesus to be sin for us, even though he knew no sin, so that we might become 
The righteousness of God in him. And I think of it this way. Here's Jesus. And that's what we have to be to be in heaven. It's perfection. We don't, but we, we don't come close. This is who we are. But God calls Jesus, even though he knew no sin, to become sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus took our sin upon himself. So that we might be righteous. How do we gain that righteousness? How do we obtain that righteousness? You don't obtain it. You repent. You say, oh God, I am the sinner that you say I am. But I believe that Jesus took my sin upon himself and he died in my place. I believe. Make me your child. You don't even have to ask that, but it just helps us in our day. Come into my heart, save me, whatever you want to say. But when you believe... You have gone from this to this because Jesus went like that to you. He is perfect now. And when, and when God looks at you and you're in Christ, he sees Jesus and he's pleased. A lot of you spend a lot of time in a whole lot of guilt. And if you're an NC State fan, you should. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but look, you spend a lot of time thinking, oh, I'm, I'm just so... The beauty, the beauty of the gospel is that God forgives you. And this is who you are. And he sees you and he says, the love that he had for his son, he has for us. That's amazing, isn't it? Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes through hearing the word of Christ or the gospel. And as we spend time in Scripture, the effect should be that we are more and more like Jesus. How? That's what we talk about in home group this week. So parents from out of town, you better hang around. There's some tonight. You can get, catch those and then head back. Here's the question. Should we expect those who are in the world to live according to biblical standards? For whom was Scripture given? Think about it. Who, was, who, who did God give? He gave it to the people of God. And while it's very clear that when believers share the gospel with unbelievers, the active and living word of God produces faith in unbelievers as the Father draws sinners to the Son who died for them. It, but it's also clear that God has a different standard for those who are on earth and who live in the world and those who are in the church. In 1 Corinthians 5... Paul is talking to the Corinthians. He said, look, you got this guy who's doing this horrible thing. He's living with his stepmother and he's doing it very op openly. You need to put him out of the church and have nothing to do with him. So that he will understand where his heart is. So that he can be brought back. He doesn't say all of that in 1 Corinthians 5. Actually, that's about the only place where he's like, I've delivered him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That the spirit might be saved. That the soul might be saved in the day of judgment. Man, so many things going on there. First of all, here's this wicked sinner that Paul apparently considers to be saved. But he's saying, I'm, I'm getting, him, getting him out. He's infecting the body. But then he says, now, I'm not saying you shouldn't associate with immoral people. Because then you'd have to go out of the world. But if it's in the church, you got to clean it up. 
Well, that's the way you Christians are, judgmental. You think you're not sinners. Oh, we're sinners, all right. But we, God calls us to repent. That's why the first of Martin Luther's 95 Theses, life is a life of continual repentance. We repent every day of our sin, and it's a beautiful gift from God. Repentance is, and there's joy in repentance. But here's the point. You can't expect the world to live like the church, it's, it'd be the same as if, if a blind person were up here and, and fell off of this stage. Would you stand up and say, what? You stupid. What are you doing? Why don't you? No, we would be rushing to help this person. We would be doing our best to, 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 to care for this one. So don't expect the world to live as we do. And it's why addressing cultural issues with anything other than the gospel is problematic. It is moralistic, in fact. And whenever, whenever the, whatever the world's view is of morality changes at the speed of the internet. What can we do about the ills of society? We're limited beyond what we can accomplish with one another in here. You think not? What do you think when you hear the words moral majority? In, in the 1980s, there were a group of pastors who got together and said, we're, there's, a, there's a moral majority in America and we're going to find it. And they were like, hey Mormons, we, we agree with you on pro-life issues. Let's get together. And at some point they had to say, uh, gosh, that's against the gospel and we can't go with you there. See, the problem was that the world had already associated unwise social tactics with the gospel. And that did significant damage to the church's witness. Okay, if half of you get up and walk out, I'm going to say it anyway. There is danger of doing the same in our day when we are protesting or boycotting. Honestly, I don't see a case for either one in Scripture. Look, as an American, help yourself if that's what you want to do. But remember this. Who do you represent first? Jesus or America? What's happening when you're saying things on Facebook that you can never take back? Let me ask you the things that you say. Are they more likely to attract somebody to the gospel who doesn't agree with you about social issues? Or are they more likely to turn them away from the gospel? That's what you've got to think about. Look, I, I, I say I don't see a case for, for it in Scripture. I don't necessarily see a case against it either. And, and hey, First Amendment rights, either way, either way. Please do not, though, pretend, especially with an angry face, that it is a biblical mandate for you to call others to action. You may want to do one or the other as an American, but don't associate American with Christian. Why? Because when you do, you're right back to the law. And you will not accomplish your desired end the way that God has designed for His kingdom. Time in the Word helps us to process all of that. 
It helps us to understand the difference between God's ways and our own ways. How can you know God's ways? Spend thoughtful and prayerful time in 1 Peter. You'll see. 1 Peter, if you're being oppressed, honor those who are oppressing you. He starts off saying, honor the emperor. Well, you don't know what life is like under Donald Trump or what it was like under Obama, President Obama. Oh yeah, he's just talking about Nero. And he says, honor the emperor. Slaves, thankfully no slaves. When you are unjustly beaten, honor your, the one who is over you. Wives who have unbelieving husbands, honor your husbands. Husbands and all those in authority, you abuse it. You abuse your authority. You are going to answer to God. And you don't want to do that. Why? Does he say to do these things? He points to Jesus and he says, Consider this one who, though unjustly treated, put his life in the hands. He didn't open his mouth, but he put his life in the hands of the one who judges justly. Why do we do that? Why do we take abuse? Because your salvation was bought that way. Because Jesus stayed silent. While he was abused. You cannot. Fix the world. World's problems permanently. Through social justice. I'm not against social justice. I recognize that the scripture ought to make us different people. But your biggest concern. If you're a believer has to be. Do you know Jesus? So. Are your actions or your words. My private thoughts, look, I get the same. I, I'm just as emotional as any of the rest of you. Do our actions and our words point to the cross or do they obscure it? We actually just, just bring, bring a curtain over it. Because ultimately, that's all that matters. Ultimately, it is. We're different people, yes. But the way we, what can we do? What can we do ultimately about racism? About, about different beliefs that people have in culture? Is screaming at each other really? Is that the way to do it? We get the opportunity in the church to say, in Christ there are no races, there are no genders. There are, look, we all belong. That Don't miss Interpret that about no genders. Gender is very much a big deal. God made us man and woman. And he expects us to function like that. In our marriage and in our relationships and all of that. And if that's tough for you, I'm so... I, 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 again, I, I can only imagine how difficult it is for you. I'd love to talk to you about that. I would love to. Uh, and not screaming... By any means. But what, what I'm saying is in the church we can accomplish things that cannot be done in the world. We can give a picture of the beauty of Christ in the gospel. Scripture's going to have to inform our thoughts at that level though. Believe God's word which is fully sufficient to address life 
in the church. Live the gospel in the church and the world will take notice. You'll find yourself very much in the center of things in the, in the world in productive ways. Absolutely speak to injustice. Absolutely speak to inconsistencies. And by the way, I, I, I'm rarely on social media, but I got into a you know, tweet uh, frenzy this week, I suppose, tweeted four times. But one of the things that I was thinking about um, was um, if you are protesting or boycotting, prepare to be inconsistent. Inconsistent. Consistency, thou art a jewel. It, it, look, if you take a strong stand on the things that are tearing our nation apart, if you do that very publicly, you're going to be inconsistent. You can't, you can't hold it. You, you just can't do it. You, you know, when you kneel for the national anthem in, in London and you stand for the British anthem, the most imperialistic country, democratic country in the history of the world, all about slavery, three million chattel slavery. Where do you think we got it from? From England. You're inconsistent when you're boycotting the NFL because you don't think people, you think people ought to stand for Really? You want to take away their First Amendment rights? Really? You want to boycott that? Well, how about we boycott whatever you're in? It, we can't be consistent in this game. We're not called to be. They didn't do that in the first century. They just, they just followed Jesus. That's what they did. And I'll follow up on that for the half of you that are left next week. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> Look, I, I hope you know this. I hope you know my heart. I, I, I'm as conflicted as you are. I'm, I, I'm as inconsistent as anybody. And I deeply love you. And I don't love Jesus as much as I should or my life would be better. It would be different. I love God's word. I love the steady focus and attention to the world. Frankly, in a democratic society, we have more troubles than they had in the first. They, it was pretty easy. Pretty easy. But when we, the people, get involved, we, we, it gets complicated. So make sure you're honoring the people God calls you to honor, even if they're not honoring you. I'm not good at that. Not at all. Look at 1 Peter 1, 2, 21, somewhere along in there. Especially about Jesus' response. <laughs> Look, I'm not asking... I'm not saying uh, ask God to bless um, sinful ways. Um, when we get in the middle of stuff, we, we do so, we get emotional about things. We make mistakes and we, and we might say, oh Lord, overlook this. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done this. But, but, but ask the Lord to stop you from saying or writing things that you will one day regret. The gospel is gracious and forgiving, reflecting the Savior. It, it provides security for the believer and it's attractive to the world in its right form. And, and you know what? I had a little pastor's meeting uh, Friday night. And like I said, Cole uh, was there for this conference. It was sort of a pre-conference uh, Pastors gathering, pastors and wives. Allison and I were there. And Cole said, we were talking about gender issues. This is what the conference was about. It was about engendered um, 
Oh, Sam, uh, I can't remember his name, Andreades, I can't say his name, but man, why, this guy was really great. He's written a book called Engendered, E-N, Gendered. Uh, you may want to get it and look at it. It, it really speaks to, I, I was helped with a lot of things that they said, but Cole pointed to me and he said, you know, he said, I think about Brad, he's got people on this side, the far right, and then he's got other people, and then we do, look, you're, we're spread out all over the spectrum. What better testimony than for us to love each other? To love each other. Even in our different views about how society ought to be. Again, take your cues from Scripture, not from the culture. Even when the culture claims it's taken its cues from Scripture. In just a moment, we're going to gather at the Lord's table. Um, and, and, and I just want to pray as we are gathered at this table where we're united with Christ and we're united with one another, that our hearts will be saturated with the gospel, so beautifully encapsulated in Scripture. Before we come to the table, I'm going to ask David Calvert, uh, fresh from his sabbatical, to come. October 1, we didn't give him one more day than September. You know, we said, you're back to work. And uh, David's going to tell us a little bit about Martin Luther's contribution, not only to theology in written form, but also to scriptures, uh, theology and, 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 and hymnody. And so David, tell us about that and then lead us in a mighty fortress. And the rest of the worship team, you're welcome to come anytime. Yeah, you guys can come, come up. Uh, so I'll just make a brief comment. Uh, as, as Luther had nailed these 95 theses to the door, as you might imagine, calling out your authorities in 95 different ways might spur a response. And so they wanted to kill him. And basically, as Luther was escaping, trying to get away from being killed, a benevolent king, who wasn't necessarily a prince, who wasn't necessarily a Christian, took him in, like faked a kidnapping, and, and hid him away so that he wouldn't be killed. And while Luther was hiding, he translated the Bible into German. So up until that point, all of Mass, all of what was done in corporate worship, and all the way that the Scripture was read was typically Greek or Latin. And even at that point, Latin was functionally a dead language. And so no German people understood, you know, generally speaking, understood what was happening in the Scripture or in worship. And so Luther translated all of that work into German so that the people could read the Bible. That same uh, thrust that drove him to do that, to take the time to do that work, uh, also encouraged him to create hymnody in German so that when people came to worship, they might sing with understanding, actually sing things that they could understand with each other and encourage one another in, in truth that they could understand. So uh, for Luther, in addition to the scripture being um, an important, necessary thing for the people of the church, he also wanted hymnody to be an important, necessary thing for those people. So as Luther crafted hymns built off the scripture, uh, he created another way, in addition to the table, for us to be unified. And in worship in the 16th century, uh, there were a couple people performing, and the church basically was an audience, watching the priest partake of the Lord's Supper, watching the priest, listening to the priests and those cantors singing and, and exalting the Lord in those ways. But Luther, over the course of his life, changed that so that when people came to worship, they worshiped with God as the audience. And one of the ways that we did that was by singing together. So what we do now, 500 years later, we can owe in part 
to Luther, taking the time to write songs in the language of the people and encouraging the people to sing as a picture of unity and as a picture of the truth being proclaimed. Uh, Luther had this very high view of music in general. He said, except for theology, there's no art that could be put on the same level with music. Uh, since except for theology, music alone produces what otherwise only theology can do, namely a calm and joyful disposition. If you know anything about Luther, that's very ironic. Uh, so for him to say that about theology, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but what he's intending to say is that music and theology are both formative. They're powerful. So for him, in addition to the scripture, hymnody was a big deal. So would you stand and sing with me uh, this hymn that was penned 500 years ago by Martin Luther? There's language in here that translates over a little awkwardly. Uh, words that you may not recognize. And so I would encourage you, take note of anything that feels weird or sounds strange, and be sure to ask any of our elders or staff, any of those in your home group who are leading, and we can work at explaining some of these pictures that are in this song. But it is largely coming from uh, Psalm 46. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift his countenance towards you. And all of God's people say, Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.